Hello, my name is Deborah Hamilton, and welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This podcast seeks to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view and disciplines. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of this podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations so that every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to your joining us on this journey toward a better understanding of similar and divergent points of view. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening first. I'm so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's get started. Today we're speaking with my dear friend, colleague, co-presenter, Gary Norman, who is an LLM. He is a leader with a disability. You would never know it given how wide his breadth of conversation and application of law in the in every realm occurs. I love him so much. He has been such a teacher for me as well as a collaborative partner in having people have discussions around service animals, emotional support animals, ADA. Uh, we, we call our program Accommodate the Accommodator. But today, I'm going to talk with Gary about why do pets matter to him. He has had several service animals as well as pets before he needed his service animal. Um, and he's going to talk to us at the beginning about all of that. And then I'm hopeful he'll come back to future podcasts to talk about accommodating the accommodator and having leaders, diversity and inclusion of leaders with disabilities, as well as making facilities in the judicial system available and accessible to all. So Gary, I'm so glad you're here. How are you doing today? Just great. Greetings, everyone. Thanks so much for asking me to be part of your program. We have collaborated in so many different ways, and now I have this great opportunity to collaborate on this platform with you to talk about really my idea that each of us is a superhero, and if we're blessed, we get to have a sidekick. In my case, my third guy dog, Bowie. And don't we love Bo? You just picked him up, I guess, about a year, a year and a half ago. Is that correct? Indeed. He's my third guy dog. He's a product of Guiding Eyes for the Blind in New York, and it's been a pleasure to learn and grow with each of the dogs in different ways. So tell us about, well, your first animals in your lives, and then the three wonderful um, working partners you've had as guide dogs. Um, I fundamentally and sincerely believe that in exchange for my vision, I've been gifted with a touch point to the outdoors and with animals. So animals and connectivity with animals has always been a natural spot for me. But specifically, ever since a kid, I've had some form of a dog in the house. Most of my years, those were as pets. And then as I was a young attorney, I decided to apply to guide dog school for my first dog, Langer. I, I was eventually matched with Langer, a yellow lab who became my first working partner. And then most recently, I worked with Pilot, who is now retired. And now I am on my third dog, Bowie, who I recently obtained in December 2017. And we'll have worked with him for about two years in December 2019. So on some level, I've always had a great appreciation for our pets. 
and uh, have been blessed to have many pets in my life. Well, it's really interesting because I have known Pilot and I know Bowie, and it always amazes me on the synergy you have with your guide dogs and their ability to be a part of your life on every level. I love when you explain, I'm so sad I never got to meet Langer, but when you explain Langer as your uh, bachelor dog and Pilot as your married dog, and now Bowie as your adventure dog, um, tell us a little bit about that because in my mind, that's why these do matter to you, not only on a service level, which they provide phenomenal service, but also how you respect their need for play. Yes, I respect each of the dogs. I value each of the dogs as more than just a worker. Indeed, all three dogs are guide dogs, or in Pilot's case, he's now a retired guide dog. And before him, Langer was a retired guide dog when I worked Pilot actively. But all these dogs have been more than that to me. So if you want to use the word pet, they've certainly been pets. They've also been my best friends. They've also been my co-adventurers in life. Each dog has had a different chapter from the Grand Architect, and uh, each dog has had different needs and interests and personalities. Um, each has needed more downtown downtime, uh, if you will, than perhaps another or needed in a different way. Each has needed different types of communication and expression uh, than the other. So it's been a, a rich package uh, working and living with these animals as, as pets and also as, as people providing or as, as living beings providing a service to me. And what what is that? partnership that you have with them that makes it so important for everyone who's listening to understand what a service dog really means? The breadth and the depth of a partnership with a guide dog or other service animals, I suspect as well, is multifaceted and complex. It involves partnership and communication, and in, in speaking in the, in the case of guide dogs, partnership and communication, partnership in a kinesthetic way, partnership in an emotional way, partnership in kind of the bonds of mutual assistance and mutual dependence. Well, that gives And I think that probably only scratches the surface on some level. Absolutely. That gives me so many more questions to ask. And for me, I know you have looked at animals um, in such a different way than I have, but they matter to you. I've watched you with uh, both Pilot and Bowie and how you give them downtime when they need it and really are in tune. And that comes with experience because I know Bowie is a new dog. So you've been adjusting to him and, and you have many lovely, wonderful words to use when he's being naughty. Um, and Pilot was never naughty in my presence, but always ready to be released and, and be a pet uh, because working eight hours or 12 hours a day is, is really uh, exhausting for them. And I know you always make, made me aware of it. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about how you pay attention to the needs of your dogs. That That's a service animal. One thing I've observed across three dogs is that, well, of course, there are probably bad handlers, like there's bad people in every profession, but most handlers who are visually impaired working with a new guide dog or returning to work with a new guide dog form this incredibly rich and tight bond with their animal. And 
look at them as so much more than just a service worker in most cases. And so in most cases, while we understand the textbook of how you're supposed to work them and interact with the public, most of us are also just kind of dog geeks who want to lay on the floor and play with their dogs. So the, the, the bond, the bonding process lends itself to really having a real relationship with these dogs. And of course, that means good days and that means bad days. It means times when they need to be professional. It also means times even when they're they're sort of on the clock, like in a day job situation. But even at the day job, Bowie has a pillow that he sleeps on. He has toys. I let him run around sometimes in the office. Um, those kind of one-on-one relationships are um, always a work in progress, but are also incredibly important to working these dogs. I think that everyone who's listening would love to know what is someone supposed to do if they see a guide dog uh, working and also if they see a guide dog off the clock, so to speak. Ideally, the best rule is to always ask the handler. Ideally, if Bowie and I are working through Union Station, as you can imagine, that's a stressful environment. It's not the best idea to interfere with us or to call out the Bowie. Um, on the other hand, there are opportunities to perhaps play with a dog like Bowie if you ask the handler for their permission. Um, and if anything, I err on the side of pretty broad access to the dogs. I have with each of the dogs when it makes sense. What I usually tell people is, um, even if Bowie's in harness, if you ask me, I'll probably let you play with him as long as it doesn't distract him or upset him. Um, the difference being, I wouldn't allow that if we're working onto a train. Right. You're you're very aware of being able to make sure that the dog is able to focus. That is like your your favorite word, Bowie focus, pilot focus, because it is distracting when you're walking through a Union Station or an airport right. or anywhere for any dog, especially a working dog. And that kind of stress is something that I, I know you reward when they get through it and get you on the train. You reward in a huge way. I do. I, I think from an integrative law and medicine perspective, stress we know is incredibly taxing to us all as living beings, whether that's me as a human or Bowie as a dog. Um, how we manage that stress is incredibly important, especially in terms of a guide dog team. I think one thing that guide dog schools has or have slowly improved on is actually to acknowledge that. So they, since I've been a guide dog handler, they've taught things like T-touch, which is a type of dog massage on their ears. Um, for the humans themselves in class, my old school in California actually brought in a yoga instructor one night for us as students. Um, so I think the idea of stress management is something that that they're starting to teach more of and that uh, we appreciate more of as integrative doctors and lawyers and professionals, especially those who are blessed to have some role in animal law and policy. Um, and that, that stress level and the trauma level of being a blind person working in public with a dog, I think can't be understated. So indeed, working in different kinds of urban situations is stressful and it really kind of separates the good dog handlers or the really excellent ones from the average ones when we know how to um, how to manage that stress level in the dogs. That's so important. And I know that you have really gone out of your way to educate people about leaders with disabilities working side by side with 
service animals or just hearing impaired animals, uh, hearing impaired helpful animals, um, and just people with disabilities, period. You've done a lot of work with um, accommodating people with disabilities and having the accommodators understand what that actually means and is and how to have that communication less confrontationally. So talk about that for a little while, because I'm going to have you come back for a whole nother podcast talking about it. But let's introduce it here, because it really is important um, how you speak with people who may or may not understand what Bowie is. So law and also program-wise or programmatic-wise, Accommodate the Accommodator is a program that you and I have designed with the idea of promoting better conversations in animals and in disability-related concerns. The law piece is that the ADA itself is a compromise bill, as all good legislation is, and as part of the ADA, it promotes and encourages the use of dispute resolution. In our mind, the idea of applying dispute resolution, especially in an organic or on-the-spot way, um, hasn't quite been tapped into just as much yet as it could be. So we developed the phrase accommodate the accommodator in some writing and speeches to promote this idea that as people like you, somebody without a visible disability, somebody like me who has a visible disability, we can use tools of appreciative conversation, organic conversation, uh, integrative law to come together to resolve problems or misunderstandings much more immediately than turning to the court system necessarily. Right, because it really does sometimes create fear in people if they are using a service animal and, and are being turned away, fear or anger, um, and in the facilities that they're attempting to be a part of, uh, we've talked about this a lot, it sometimes will drive um, a, a disabled leader crazy, you, um, when people are denying you access to things you you have access to because they don't understand the law, which was why we decided to develop Accommodate the Accommodator to try to educate from the inside out. So educate the person asking for the accommodation to really have that, that ability to foster a good conversation. If you can't, let's get a group together. We always talk about food and public square and having conversations in a salon type um, format. So people can really ask those questions without feeling, um, you know, attacked or attacking. Um, yes, I agree with that. So <clears throat> a hallmark of the West is the idea of compromise and conversation, especially in uh, early leaders of Freemasonry, who were people like Grandmaster Franklin, who was also an ambassador as well as postmaster general of the colonies. He was known for his salons or dinner parties, basically, which actually brokered the constitutional convention delegates together to write the constitution. I would like to think that hopefully my career and personal legacy can be the same kind of idea of using compromise and conversation to build better public policy and indeed open doors for people with disabilities such as myself. Absolutely, because it's all about having that conversation. Most of the time, our perspectives and perceptions are what color how we hear things. And if we're able to break bread, um, we are able to maybe hear things a little bit differently. And I want you to tell the audience a little bit about the Masons. You're going to be the grand leader uh, in January 2020, but also one of your guide dogs was uh, Mason. 
Yes, my journey has been incredibly rich, and it's provided an incredible personal and professional growth experience for me. This is what I tell young members or young people considering joining the craft. You could certainly look to a leadership Baltimore if you've been blessed and have had a lot of leadership opportunities to expand your influence and your learning. But that's one thing we provide in lodges. We provide a equal space for men of different creeds and abilities to come together and learn from each other to practice a general common compass or set of values, including brotherly love, relief, and truth. So brotherly love or equality, relief meaning charity, and then truth meaning we look to certain uh, symbols of the building trade as emblems or as, as value statements of what we believe of equality, fraternity, uh, fellowship. And indeed, this journey has been marked by me, who will become the first blind worshipful master of a Masonic Lodge in Maryland in January of 2020 with my guide dogs. And it's been two guide dogs who have been honorary brothers. My retired guide, Pilot, was uh, raised, or in other words, became a full-fledged member with me through the various processes that one does that in a Masonic Lodge which was really something that was kind of groundbreaking for my lodge in Towson, Maryland. Uh, it was a unique experience for me to really have the conversation about uh, being visually impaired, but first and foremost, being a good man who the craft could take and make better through our symbols and emblems. And then he truly was further and further accepted as him and I worked through the chairs and became officers together. And Pilot is still an honorary brother of Freemasons, although not as active. And now Bowie is also an honorary brother and will be at installation with me in January. It's such a rich and wonderful relationship you have weaved with the people who have crossed into your life and become, you know, part of your journey, as you said, um, as well as the animals that are absolutely creating that same uh, journey and joining people with you to further discuss being a blind leader with a guide dog and helping people understand what that means, how access is important, um, and how asking questions is okay as long as we do it in a conversational way and really wanting to learn and understand. God knows I've not always succeeded, but I try to be different than some of the pack in hardcore blindness advocacy, where I've tried to make make a firm understanding of the law for sure, but try to do it in a way that hasn't totally turned off people, I hope. Uh, and there are certainly circumstances where I have filed complaints or I've engaged in litigation where I thought that would change public policy, but I've tried to shape the law accommodations and policies in ways that have been far more perhaps intellectual as well as one-on-one -on -one type relationship building opportunities. You've been phenomenal in that because you have held different events, both at the German Marshall Fund um, and you were a fellow at the Dole Institute. So you were creating this bridge between people who had no idea how to really respond to some leader with a disability. You've really bridged so many um, different 
avenues in the law to make sure that everybody understands this is something that I want to have a conversation about. And these pets matter to me, both as pets and as partners in this service that we are giving to each other. So it has been an honor to work with you, to meet you, um, and to speak with you now. I hope you're going to come back so we can go more into um, Accommodate the Accommodator and how the ADA really works and the differences maybe another one between service dogs and emotional support animals because there are huge differences there are and that would be a great opportunity to have another conversation with you well thank you so much gary i greatly appreciate you coming on this is why do pets matter and we're talking with gary norman a leader with a disability who has been one of my greatest friends colleagues and collaborators on fostering diversity and inclusion and also understanding the relationship of service animals to their um, humans. So until next time, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton, and this podcast is my passion. Do you have a great guest or idea for a topic you'd like me to explore? Go to my website and click Contact at Hamilton Law and Mediation. That's Hamilton Law, L-A-W, and A-N-D, Mediation, M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. This is Deborah Hamilton thanking you for being here. <laughs>